and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Kmack. Hello, everybody. So there are a lot of commanders out there that are well-known as huge threats. Uh, maybe they see a lot of play in competitive EDH, or maybe their strategy is just known to be stronger than the baseline power level for most playgroups. Uh, these are the kind of commanders that they might interest you, but you feel bad about playing them or you feel discouraged from playing them just because their reputation is so bad. So today we're going to be talking about three commanders, all of which show up in our competitive EDH's decklist database. And we're going to offer some alternative builds that are a bit closer to the average playgroup's power level. Uh, I, I want to be clear though, these builds do rely on the Legends mechanics. We're, we're not going to be using Derevi as bird tribal for example, like mm -hmm. the, the cards in these decks will directly connect to what the commander is doing. It's just not going to be the overpowered thing that, that yeah, it's launched not... them into CEDH circles. Exactly. This isn't the S plus tier of this commander. This is just another kind of build you can do that is fun, that you might enjoy playing with your playgroup, but doesn't just come in and completely annihilate everybody and make everyone feel bad. Yeah, it's, it's an alternative option, but it is viable. But before we jump into today's topic, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon page. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and access sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by writing a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Also, we are now releasing brawl videos on a weekly basis. So if you want to support the show, you can also like, comment, and subscribe, and uh, just check them out if you think it'd be something you're interested in. Yeah, if you want to see a little bit of extra gameplay or anything like that. We do show off cool decks here on the podcast, but these gameplay videos are another opportunity for us to show off some cool decks, albeit for the Brawl format. This first one, do you want to talk about Brago? Brago, King Eternal, is 2 white-blue for a 2-4 legendary spirit. He has flying, and whenever he deals combat damage to a player, you can exile any number of target non-land permanents you control, then return those cards to the battlefield under their owner's control. In, in more casual circles, he's typically played as a, a blink deck with a lot of ETB creatures. In competitive EDH, he's often played as a stacks commander, and he'll like break symmetry on mana denial effects like Winter Orb or Armageddon because he plays a ton of mana rocks, and then he blinks them to, to untap them to get extra mana, and he eventually combos off with Stryonic Resonator. So Stryonic Resonator is two mana artifact. It has two tap copy target triggered ability you control you may choose new targets for the copy so with tronic resonator and enough mana rocks uh, you can copy brago's ability blink the resonator and all your mana rocks generate mana generate blinks and eventually win from there so that's like what the the cedh brago decks look like but the build we're going to be talking about today is something that is a little bit different so clones naturally synergize with brago because he lets you reset them so you can have like your, your clone or your Phyrexian Metamorph enter the battlefield as a copy of the best creature on the battlefield. And then Brago will let you reset that creature so that if a better creature comes in, you can get a copy of it. If there's any ETB creatures, you can have it come in as a copy, get that trigger, and then have Brago blink your creature to get it again. So there's a lot of synergy between clones and Brago. It's a really good commander for, for this type of card. But clones also have a lot of interesting properties that enable combos with other cards in these colors. For example, clones usually have a base power and toughness 0-0, zero, zero, 
So if you make one a copy of Vesperlark or Revelark, both of which reanimate creatures with power two or less or power one or less when they leave the battlefield, when it dies, it'll be able to bring itself back with its own trigger. And so if you have a sack outlet, you can just keep sacrificing this clone to itself and netting whatever the sack outlet generates. So that's one powerful combo that uses cards that naturally fit into the deck strategy. You're not really handicapping yourself by running them. Yeah, you still feel like you're getting to play the game when you are flickering these clones. It, it's, it doesn't feel like you're just sitting there like dirtling or not advancing your board state. And then you're also playing clones like until up until you need to start flickering them. They can be the Grave Titan that's sitting across from you or whatever you need them to be. So mm-hmm. it, it's pretty good. Clones also work really well with cards that reanimate creatures when they enter the battlefield, such as like Karmic Guide. If you have a clone in your graveyard and you have a Karmic Guide on the field, you can play a clone, copy the Karmic Guide, targeting the clone in your graveyard. You can then sacrifice the copy of Karmic Guide and have it be in the graveyard by the time the second clone returns to the battlefield. And you can just keep going through that loop of sacrificing one clone and reanimating the other as many times as you like. And if you have something like an Ashnod's Altar, an Altar of Dementia, a Blasting Station, a Phyrexian Altar, you can get infinite mill, infinite damage, infinite mana. So that's another combo that that works really well in these colors. And of course, you're not harming yourself by running any of these cards. Yeah, all of these cards are cards that I like running in general. Like, I love running Karmic Guide. Like, Karmic Guide is just a good card that is fun and gets you value. Playing it in a deck where all of a sudden it's like an integral piece of the machine that you're making, like, you feel like you're doing a lot, which is nice. There's some other similar combos in these colors that use the same types of cards. Cheap clones like Phantasmal Image and Mirror Image have a lot of synergy with Sun Titan because you play a Sun Titan, get back a mirror image. It's also in Sun Titan. You get back something else. Now you got two Sun Titans. But Sun Titan also creates loops with Fiend Hunter or Wormfang Drake, where the Hunter or the Drake exiles the Titan. You sacrifice the Hunter or Drake to a sacrifice outlet. The Titan returns to the battlefield and reanimates the Hunter or Drake. So you end up back where you started, except you've gotten the benefits of your sacrifice outlet. So this deck actually really reminds me of like the Safi list we've shared in another episode where there's a lot of pieces that work together really well and then all of a sudden they all fit together and this machine just like explodes onto the scene. You're going to get a lot of that same kind of gameplay out of this where you're playing, you're feeling like you're interacting, you're getting value and then all of a sudden you get that one card you need and the whole board is different and you kind of put the puzzle together and make something happen. But up until that point, especially with this deck, especially because it's Brago, like you do feel like you're doing something. Another cool thing you would do with some of the cheaper clones is if you've got Palancron in your deck, you can say, play a Phantasmal Image, copying Palancron, untap your seven lands, bounce that Phantasmal Image back to your hand, and then you've netted mana. So that's another way to generate infinite mana. And then just Palancron works pretty well with Brago, works pretty well with your other clones, just a way to generate tons of mana during a game. So if you'd like to take a look at this deck, a link is going to be posted in the episode description. And if you would like to buy this deck, there's an affiliate link on that Architect page. That affiliate link is going to take you to TCG Player, and you'll be able to easily add the contents of the deck to your shopping cart with just the click of a button. If you buy cards this way, it's going to support the show, and it's just a really convenient way so you don't have to hunt around for all the individual cards. So please consider doing so if you're interested in building this deck. All right, what's the next commander we're going to be talking about today? So the next commander is uh, actually very near and dear to my heart, maybe to the chagrin of some friends, but this is Derevi, Imperial Tactician. 
Derevi Imperial Tactician is kind of the scourge of some playgroups, but it's a 2-3 flying bird wizard for green, white, blue. When it enters the battlefield or a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, you may tap or untap target permanent. And she also has one green, white, blue put Derevi onto the battlefield from the command zone. So basically like avoiding commander attacks. I think that's the thing that really kind of irks most people with her. And again, in competitive circles, this is really a card that just breaks symmetry on Stasis, Winter Orb, a lot of these stacks cards, much like Brago does. And it's a very, very powerful deck and has a very bad reputation for just messing with everyone else at the table, like not letting them play the game and just kind of pushing their own agenda forward. Yeah, that, that tap-down ability is really powerful uh, when you have a Winter Orb out, and of yes. course you can use Derevi to untap your own lands, so you're not really feeling the, the squeeze on your resources. Exactly, like you can consistently keep stasis around, you're advancing your game plan, like you're tapping down anything that doesn't doesn't look good to you, and you're just slowly... You're killing them, but it's pretty slow and it's pretty grindy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a pretty popular CEDH deck. But we're going to do a build that uh, I very much like. I've built this deck a very long time ago, and I've since taken it apart, but Alex, friend of the show, has made a list that he has very much been into lately. And uh, it's basically a token build. Derevi Tokens is incredibly strong, actually. It's, it's one of the only builds that offers exponential growth. So since Derevi triggers whenever any creature you control deals combat damage to a player... Going wide with tokens is a good strategy for netting more triggers. And once you've got a token army farming these taps and untaps, it becomes a question of like, what are you going to be targeting? If, if you're avoiding the stack strategy, if you're not running like Winter Orb or Stasis or anything like that, you got to figure out what you're going to be doing with those taps and untaps. Fortunately, there are a lot of cards in Magic that tap to produce tokens or produce tokens when they become tapped. Oh god, yes, there's so many. <laughs> Yeah, so like Squirrel Nest, Steward of Solidarity, Pride Sovereign, Thraben Doomsayer, Kazandu Tuscaller, Imperious Perfect, Mirror Turbine, Stony Brook Schoolmaster. I'm not really going to bore you with the details of those cards because they all essentially do the same thing. Yes. They, they all pretty much tap to produce tokens. So if you have one of those on the battlefield and you swing in with five guys and connect five times, you can untap your token producer five times, produce five more tokens than you normally would, and you're essentially doubling your token production every single turn because the next turn you're going to be attacking with 10 tokens and it just snowballs like that until your opponent is forced to wrath the board but you can you can start with very little and produce a token army out of nowhere yeah and i think that's really the thing that pushes this token strategy over the edge is a lot of times aggro decks like have to actually invest cards in the board derevi really just needs to invest the mer turbine the squirrel nest and then all of a sudden Two turns later, you like are threatening lethal with mm-hmm. like some kind of overrun effect or something like that. Just just out of nowhere, like one two cards later, like you have this incredibly powerful board because it offers ex- exponential growth. That the further along that x-axis you start, the more yield you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So in addition to just like these token engines that that tap to produce tokens, there's also some efficient one-shot token production effects like increasing devotion, conqueror's pledge, deep forest hermit, basically things that'll give you a lot of tokens at a very efficient rate. So you're going from like zero triggers to five triggers instantly. Yeah, really get that motion going, really get the momentum like pushing forward and it is a blast. It's really fun. 
There's also a lot of engines in the deck that are able to convert Derevi's taps or untaps to other resources. So for example, Willbreaker is three blue blue for a human wizard. It's a 2-3, and whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes the target of a spell or ability you control, gain control of that creature for as long as you control Willbreaker. So if you use Derevi just to tap or untap your opponent's guys, you get to steal them for as long as Willbreaker sticks around. It's very powerful and kind of amazing like what you can end up doing with it. Like You really only have to invest like maybe two cards to the board at a time, and all of a sudden you're in this like insanely good position. It's really nuts. Some other engines that convert taps and untaps into uh, other resources. Well, of course, your lands naturally convert the taps and untaps into mana, and bounce lands are actually pretty good in this deck, just because instead of producing one mana off of each trigger, you're producing two. And then Bloom Tender and Fabro Elder both tap for one mana for each color among permanents you control. Well, Derevi happens to be three colors, so Bloom Tender and Fabro Elder, they're, they're two or three mana for something that taps for three. So you can just generate a ton, ton of mana. It gets really nuts really fast. You can also use the the taps to tap down creatures if you have a Verity Circle out. And Verity Circle is two and a blue for an enchantment. Whenever a creature an opponent controls becomes tapped, if it isn't being declared as an attacker, you may draw a card. So that's a, a great way to draw a bunch of cards while you're controlling your opponents. Also, a zombie Lady of Scrolls is tap an untapped wizard you control, draw a card. So if you have a bunch of triggers, you can untap a zombie over and over, draw a bunch of cards. You can also use Micaeus the Lunark, who can tap to add a plus one plus one counter to himself, or tap remove a plus one plus one counter from himself to put a plus one plus one counter on all of your creatures. Basically, for every two untapped triggers, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on all your guys. And so that's just a great way to grow your army to enormous proportions really quickly. This is the kind of deck that like really, really forces a wrath. You'll be playing it, you'll be looking at the board, and you'll go, hey, I I think you're dead next turn. And then they wrath, but then all you do is play your like, Myrrh Turbine, and then keep going. And then you just activate Derevi and get yeah, to play from the command zone. Yeah, it, it's very good, but I think the big difference between this version and like kind of the more grindy, mean versions of Derevi you end up seeing are the fact that it's you crashing into your opponents as opposed to you halting everything your opponents are doing, like making sure they're not playing the game. Yeah, it's it's a proactive deck. You are the threat. You are committing resources to the board. You're not just answering what your opponents are doing or constraining their resources. It's really more about you building up, and it can build up quite explosively. A couple other ways that this deck is is different from the CEDH Derevi list is in addition to running Derevi, it runs other ways to get value off of its token armies. Yes, which is really cool. Yeah, so you've got your Biden of Thassa, your Edric, Spymaster of Trest, your Coastal Piracy. All of those cards let you draw cards when your creatures deal combat damage to opponents. That'll help you refill your hand, draw into more token producers, build up your army even further. And then there's cards like Opposition and Glare of Subduel, which allow you to tap your creatures to tap your opponent's permanents. And that's a, another great way to um, control what they're doing. Yeah, it's also like just a really good win con. Like once you have like eight-ish creatures, you can be like, oh, I'll tap these three so that these ones can get in. And still getting five triggers off of a Derevi combat is pretty good. <laughs> like it just makes sure that you can get in there and get 
going and keep the chain growing. Normally you'd have to like throw tokens away and just kind of accept that they're going to be able to block some of them, but being able to preserve your tokens is pretty useful. And I think one of the funniest cards in this list too, is that's probably one of my favorite ones. I, I had friends who really liked it back when Alara came out was Flurry of Wings. So it's just like an instant. And depending on where you are along this thing, it's probably like the splashiest like Timius card in this deck, but it's mm-hmm. just green, white, blue, instant, put X, one, one, white bird, soldier, creature tokens with flying into play where X is the number of attacking creatures. So once you get like five, 10, 20 creatures, this is this huge three mana spell and like you'll feel so good (laughs) yeah that just doubles your token presence yeah i really do recommend playing this list like you are going to do things very well and it's going to feel very strong but at the same time no one's necessarily gonna hate you for it which is wonderful all you're doing is just making big token armies who hates that there's a couple of cards I want to point out that I just think are, are really fun that synergize pretty well with Derevi. Daring Thief is two and a blue for a 2-3 human rogue. He has Inspired, so whenever Daring Thief becomes untapped, you may exchange control of target non-land permanent you control and target permanent and opponent controls that shares a card type with it. So you've got a ton of little token dorks that you can trade off for your opponent's commanders or just their powerful creatures. So giving away 1-1s and getting really strong cards seems fantastic. So that that card is really good here. It's also a great deck for cards like Citywide Bust, Retribution of the Meek, Dusk Dawn, all these asymmetrical wraths that don't hit your commanders, don't hit your small tokens, but it'll hit your opponent's big threats. This list is running two of the Elspeths because they're both just so good with this list. Like in regards to the Wrath, like Elspeth Sun's champion has six mana, four white, white, four loyalty, plus one, put three one, one white soldier creature tokens on the battlefield. Already nuts. Like minus three is the really good one that destroy all creatures with power four or greater. It dodges killing Derevi, it dodges killing all of your like kind of crappy little tokens and clears the way for all those little tokens to get in there and make more little tokens and deal more damage and tap and untap things. And then the other Elspeth also serves a pretty similar function. It's Elspeth TRL. So three white, white, four loyalty. Plus two, you gain a life for each creature you control. Not super relevant, but grows pretty fast. Minus two, put three one, one white soldier creature tokens onto the battlefield. And then her minus five, destroy all other permanents except for lands and tokens. It's pretty good. So you can wrath, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, keep Elspeth, she'll be at one. Put Derevi into play, because it's a, hopefully the new turn, and then just start going crazy. And maybe you keep your Azorius Chancery and, like, twiddle that a bunch of times and make a bunch of mana and drop some more things into play. So this deck gives you a ton of options. It is a very linear strategy that comes to you in a very organic, non-linear way, which is extremely fun. I can't recommend this deck enough. It's super fun. So if you want to check out the deck and do a bit of gold fishing, it's posted in the episode description. And of course, if you want to buy the deck, please use the affiliate link posted on the deck page. We've got one last commander that we're going to be talking about today. But before we get into that, I want to briefly talk to you about Stitcher Premium. Many of you may be listening to us on Stitcher right now. And if you sign up for a premium, you get to listen to some of your favorite shows ad-free for only $4.99 a month or $34.99 per year. You get access to Stitcher Originals, bonus episodes, comedy albums. Some of the shows that have bonus episodes available are Earth Games, which is a Hello from the Magic Tavern spinoff. I know that you're a big fan of Hello from the Magic Tavern. Yeah, I really do like that show a lot. 
it's an improv comedy podcast where they are in another magical world. And then this guy from our world teaches all these elves and like funny characters to play like Monopoly (laughs) (laughs) and stuff. It's pretty good. And then you get shows ad-free, so I'm a big fan of LeVar Burton Reads, which sounds kind of like a Reading Rainbow throwback to anyone who's hearing this, And but he's reading, like, adult, not adult stories, but he's reading, like, more mature stories for, like, grown-up audiences that deal with, like, loss or, or just are m- maybe a little... I can't think of how to t- say this without making it kind of sexual. <laughs> but he, he's uh, reading really good stories by really good authors. He's introduced me to a lot of good authors just from this show, and you get it ad-free, and you get all the bonus episodes they release too. So highly recommend it if you're into audiobooks or podcasts in general. So if you want to check that out, you can go to stitcher.com slash premium to sign up today. And if you use promo code Commander Theory, all one word, then you get one month free on your monthly plan. And of course, if you try it, find that it's not for you, you can of course just cancel later and never pay a cent. All right, with that, I think we're going to jump into our last commander, and this is one that is near and dear to your heart, I believe. Yeah, this is Animar, Soul of the Elements. So Animar is blue, red, green for a 1-1 legendary elemental. He has protection from white and from black. And whenever you cast a creature spell, put a plus and plus one counter on Animar, Soul of Elements. Creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each plus one plus one counter on Animar. So in CEDH, this deck is sort of a a creature ball combo deck. It runs a lot of creatures that net mana, especially when you're getting the cost reduction off of Animar. So if you have like a Paragon Drake, normally costs five mana and then untaps five lands, so it's just mana neutral. But if you have an Animar with four counters, then you're paying one mana, getting this 2-3 flyer, and generating five mana. Also like Dockside Extortionist, who will generate a bunch of treasures when he enters the battlefield, and you can get his cost down to a single mana. There's a fair number of cards like that. And then there's also a bunch of cards that efficiently let you draw cards when you cast creature spells. So like Glimpse of Nature, Beast Whisperer. These are cards that whenever you cast a creature spell, draw a card. So you are generating mana off of the creatures you choose, and you're generating cards off of these engines. And you're just kind of filtering through your deck until you get Ancestral Statue. And Ancestral Statue is definitely the most broken card in this deck. That Yeah, it definitely is. It is four mana for a artifact creature golem it's a three four and when it enters the battlefield return a non-land permanent you control to its owner's hand so because it only has a generic mana cost that'll eventually get reduced down to zero and it it could bounce itself each time so you just keep casting it until you get enough counters on animar that it becomes free and then you get infinite counters on animar infinite storm infinite cost reduction for your other creatures yeah you ought to be able to win the game from there there's a lot of ways to do it in the CDH list, it's usually Walking Ballista nowadays, and usually you win with this card called Weird Harvest. Uh, so that is X green green. Each player searches their library for X creatures and puts them into their hand. It kind of tickles me that that's such a kind of important CDH card. But the list we're talking about does not necessarily do that. We are still going to run Ancestral Statue, but we're not going to run as many ways to find it. It's kind of going to be like a, a little gift sometimes that pops in. Because this is Animorphs. This list runs a bunch of interesting interactions. Basically, it's the same concept, like you're casting creatures to put counters on Animar to reduce the cost of your other creatures, except it's a bunch of morphs. So this also reduces the cost of your morphs, which you can pay three mana to play face down as a 2-2 nameless, typeless creature. 
we'll have a list up. It's running 51 creatures, and basically the idea of the deck is you always want Animar on turn 3. You can get it turn 2 with the Birds of Paradise. This is also one of the lists that I like a lot because you don't need Soul Ring. Like, it helps you cast your Morphs faster, but it's, like, not super necessary. What this list does is it gives you a ton of creatures that all all do something that you can kind of chain together and use cards like Glimpse of Nature, where whenever you play a creature spell or cast a creature spell, you draw a card, and kind of chain out and drop all of these morphs onto the field at the same time. They've printed a ton of effects over the years that let you draw a card when you cast a creature. So Glimpse of Nature existed back when I made the deck, but since then we've gotten like Zendikar Resurgence, we've gotten Guardian Project, uh, we've gotten Beast Whisperer. Beast Whisperer, Primordial Sages existed for a while, Soul of the Harvest, just all of these the cards. The Great Henge? The Great Henge, yes, yes, I forgot about the Great Henge. Just all of these cards that whenever you cast a creature, you draw another card, and there's so many creatures in this list, you probably are going to hit one of these morphs and keep the chain going if, if you can get one of these things down. This also works with, uh, we mentioned Ancestral Statue, but Cloudstone Curio. So if you get two morphs and they cost zero, you can just keep flipping between them, do the same kind of thing that Ancestral Statue was doing. If you're not going off, Curio lets you rebuy your morphs to remorph them and reuse them. So you get a lot more value from that too. So if you had, say, a Rattleclaw Mystic, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you could generate infinite mana off of this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's a ton of weird interactions that happen when your morphs are free. And, like, you probably win when you have 42 2s drop down on the battlefield. And that's really the thing about this list, is that, like, it can be super explosive like that. You can get it down, and all of a sudden you're just going off. But most of the time, what ends up happening is you have this plan B, which is that it's just a morph deck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have a very large commander who doesn't die to the, like, two of the best spot removal colors in the game, and he makes your morphs free. So my list in particular is running a bunch of different things so that people don't really know what's going on. And is it like going to be a willbender? Is it going to be a counterspell? Is it going to shock me? Like, I don't know what's going on. Some weird interactions that I just wanted to highlight. So I mentioned Guardian Project earlier. So Guardian Project is an enchantment. It says, whenever a non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it doesn't have the same name as another creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, draw a card. So in most decks you go, oh yeah, okay, this is Commander, none of my creatures are the same, I draw a card. That's also the same here because none of the morphs have names, therefore they meet the same criteria. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's not that they all are the same, it's that... Yeah, it's not that their name is is blank. Yes. It's that they have no name. So they can't have a name in common with another creature on the battlefield because they have no name, (laughs) which is hilarious to me. And the other one that's really, really great uh, that we got just this last year is Mystic Forge, which is a four mana artifact. You may look at the top card of your library at any time. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an artifact card or colorless non-land card. And then it has tap, pay one life, exile the top card of your library, basically to help you not fizzle. And you might be thinking like, but all these are like red, blue, and green creatures. You can cast them as a colorless morph. So Mystic Forge actually lets you cast them from the top of your library as a colorless morph, which is hilarious and and incredibly good. It just makes it so that you don't whiff as you're going through this chain. It's just another one of these kind of pseudo draw spell cards. There's a painter servant in here just because like if you make everything black or white, uh, not only is Animar unblockable, but Animar also is untargetable by anything anymore. Oh, beautiful. So uh, thank you, painter servant, for being unbanned. That's wonderful. 
I love this list. I've had it for forever. It's been interesting to see it change over the years. Uh, One thing I really like about it is the fact that you're able to fit so much interaction into your morphs. Like if you're going ham on creatures that net mana, like like say the Peregrine Drakes or the Dockside Extortionists in, in the competitive Anwar builds, that's one less slot that you're spending on like naturalize effects or creature control or whatever. But in this deck, your free creatures and your interaction are often the same thing. Like I said, the plan B is almost more fun than the plan A, just because you're like, oh, well, they stopped me from going off. I guess I'll just play these morphs. Mm-hmm. Oh, I also want to call out uh, Tide Spout Tyrant as another way you can combo off in this list. Oh, yeah. So that's five blue, blue, blue for a five, five genie. It has flying, and whenever you cast a spell, return target permanent to its owner's hand. So like Cloudstone, Curio, this is a way for you to just use two morphs to, to bounce each other infinitely and get infinite counters on your Animar. This deck has a ton of play. For being so similar, because all the things are morphs, it plays very differently each time. Playing with morphs is, is definitely really fun. I have a Kadena list. Yeah, um, also love Kadena so much. Yeah, and, and you basically have a second hand on the table, and you can bluff all the time. That's just really fun gameplay, and it's great that there's another commander other than Kadena that, that synergizes with these types of cards. This list will also be posted in the episode description, and of course we're going to have an affiliate link down at the bottom if you want to buy it for yourself. I, I believe this deck is, is pretty cheap, right? Like most of your morphs just aren't worth mm-hmm. much money. The morphs are just dirt cheap. If you want to budget this list, you really only got to cut a few cards and some fetch lands. We have a question from a patron before we close out this episode. What is the whole list of broken commanders in your opinion? CEDH isn't exactly our wheelhouse, but I would recommend going over to reddit.com slash r slash competitive EDH. They have a, a CEDH decklist database linked right at the top, and that has a whole bunch of primers for different CEDH level commander decks. That's probably the best resource, and there are 50 different primers in there, so there, there's a fair bit of diversity within the CEDH pool of commanders. Yeah, this is just something that I noticed when we were at GP Vegas. Going between the competitive and the casual sides, on the casual side, everyone had a Vile Smasher if they were playing partners, and on the competitive side, everyone had Timna the Weaver, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty indicative of the power level of Timna. Yeah. <laughs> just Timna is very, very strong. Yeah, I just want to point out, there's there's 50-ish decks here. Uh, there are more than 15 that have Timna as one of their commanders. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she's very good. I think it's good that CDH is here because what it does is it cranks the knob all the way up to see it's basically a stress test like you don't put a program out to sell to people without stress testing it and in the same way that's what cedh is doing for commander kind of showing where the weak points in the format are if you look up these like a cedh tier lists you'll kind of get a feel for what is just really pushing the envelope like pretty hard so like i would say like najila is definitely one of those lists that just like so crazy good the Enchanter is one that just people always talk about. It's kind of been the boogeyman since the format started. Mm-hmm. I remember like when I learned how to play, people were complaining about Zer. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, pleasantly surprised to see Momir Hackball on, on this list. Yeah, that's so cool. But yeah, I, I would recommend just checking out some of these decks. Some of them are very cool. Momir is three blue-green for a 2-2 legendary creature elf wizard. Whenever you cast a green creature spell, you may search your library for a creature card and reveal it and shuffle your library and put it on top. And then whenever you cast a blue creature spell, you reveal the top card of your library. If it's a creature card, put that card into your hand. 
there's a bunch of effects from early in the game, like mind bend and, and such, that allow you to change the text of a spell or permanent by replacing one color word with another. It's so funny. So you can replace blue with green, and then you have it so that every time you cast a green creature, you tutor out a creature and put it into your hand. And then you can really easily chain that into some sort of combo. That's a a very cool list. Uh, I would recommend just checking out all these. It's a really fun resource. And we'll, of course, link to it in the episode description. But I think to answer the question, I do think these lists give you a good resource if you want to look up really powerful commanders and like really where if you crank the format to 11, what does that look like? And what are the commanders that really kind of shine through in that instance? This is a good place to look for it. Before we go, I want to give a thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Will, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Cooper, Dylan, James, Justin, and Logan. Thank you all for supporting the show. It's because of you that we've been able to expand into new content. So thank you for your support and thank you for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board. <laughs>